saw its playoff push take a dent this past weekend, losing not only the first of three road games, but also one to two players for the immediate short term. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Miami Total Football Radio once again. And yes, that is the number one and most listened to Inter-Miami podcast, providing you all the latest team news, updates, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and mucho, mucho mas, a.k.a. much, much more. We also go by the name of Miami Total Football Radio. And we have been listened to in more than 50 countries and counting. Maybe just to hear that type of pronunciation. Maybe not. Maybe not. But my name is Franco Panizo. I'm one of your usual co-hosts. None of the other usual co-hosts are in attendance for the first of two pods this week. And that's because they all have different things to tend to early on this week. Obviously here we're recording on Monday. So no Jose, no Andrea. And no Steve Brenner, who is still AWOL, still missing. But they'll be back soon. And listen, if you're uh, if you're here for the Catracho love, if you're here for the Honduran love, then no worries at all, because we have a Honduran in the house who regularly covers Inter-Miami. He's a regular in that press box that we sit in and that we debate in quite often, especially during rain delays. I am, of course, talking about Miguel Paz, a.k.a literal translation, Michael Peace. Second time on the podcast. Miguel, how are you doing today? Hey, man. Second time here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I think you have something with endurance people here in the podcast. You know, you love having us here. Uh, we're <laughs> good. So, yeah, man. I'm glad to be here. Excited to talk about Inter-Miami and yeah, ready. This is your second pod. This is your second appearance on the pod. So, I expect... A much better performance. Not that the first one was bad, but I expected better performance because you're not the rookie guest anymore. Now you're a sophomore. You gotta you gotta up the yeah, ante. Man. Since you know we, we tend oh, to yeah. have debates, you and I and, and a few others in the press box about, you know, Robbie Robinson from, from his his, <laughs> his first year to his second year to his third year. You know, you're in your second pod appearance, so we need oh, you yeah. to uh to raise that level. Raise that level. But we are going to talk with Miguel about Inter Miami's 3-1 loss to the New York Red Bulls this past weekend. It came with a red card to Alejandro Pozuelo. We will also preview this Wednesday's big, big, big matchup against the Columbus crew. So, we've got quite a bit to talk about. Since we have two pods this week, we're going to try to shorten these, condense these, make them a little tighter. So, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to try to do it in a little less time. So, Miguel... Let's get to it. Okay, everybody. So, as I just mentioned a little while ago, Inter-Miami suffered a defeat. A 3-1 to loss to the New York Red Bulls at Red Bull Arena on Saturday night at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey. That defeat snapped a five-game unbeaten run for Inter-Miami. This was the starting lineup for the South Florida side. Drake Callender in goal. Your back four were DeAndre Yedlin, Damian Lowe, Christopher McVeigh, Kieran Gibbs. The first line of the midfield, Gregory and Jean Mota. The second line of the midfield, Indiana Vasilev, Alejandro Pozuelo, Ariel Lasseter, and up top, Gonzalo Iguain. Now, Inter Miami gets on the board first in this one. They took a lead once again, and they did so with a Gonzalo Iguain free kick. A potent, venomous, stinging free kick from left off center, to the top right corner, upper 90, Alangulo, 
spectacular goal from him. It's up for goal of the week. It's up for goal of the week. It's not been named goal of the week, but it is up for goal of the week. But, but in a game in which a big red card decision went against Inter-Miami, a lot of former Inter-Miami players also helped to help to cause the South Florida side's demise. Lewis Morgan, the former Inter-Miami winger, scores the equalizer in the 43rd minute. Daniel Edelman, in the 53rd minute, scores the go-ahead goal. And then, in the 74th, Caden Clark scores an insurance tally off of a headed assist from former Inter-Miami fullback Dylan Nealis. Now, there was another former Inter-Miami player involved in a big moment in this game, and that was Andres Reyes, Andres Reyes, the center back that played for Inter-Miami in 2020. And he started in this one, and he took a high boot to the chest, torso area, in the 29th minute. And that led to a red card for Alejandro Pozuelo. Initially, it was a yellow from head referee Fotas Bosaco, so it looked like it was going to be a yellow. He pulled out the yellow card. But then it went to VAR, and when Bosacos or Basacos looked at it, he whipped out the red. Pozuelo off for an early shower. That means he misses Wednesday's game, which is a big loss. And obviously, Inter Miami was down to 10 men. Now, must be noted, the Red Bulls also went down to 10 men in the 70th minute. Kyle Duncan was issued a second yellow card. That gave Inter Miami a glimmer of hope that they could, on even terms, maybe find an equalizer. But again, that that was short lived because Clark scores the three the third goal for the Red Bulls four minutes later, and that effectively put Inter Miami out of it. Although they did create some chances late on. Miguel, you watched the game. What did you think yes. overall about this match from Inter Miami? Well, Franco, there was two games inside one game. One was before the red car, and one was after the red car. Uh, the first 15 minutes of Inter Miami, I think. They were really top, top uh, performers from, like, Inter-Miami, top minutes for Inter-Miami. They even had several uh, occasions to go up and score more than one goal. Uh, let's remember that Iwain uh, shot, like, around, like, the fifth minute at the beginning of the game. Uh, Lasseter as well, the one-on-one against the keeper. Uh, then the goal came, which if you – I don't know if this is the exact same goal that Iwain scored, the first goal that he scored for Inter-Miami. I don't know if you remember that one goal. That one goal. Yeah, yeah, I, tw- I tweeted that it was very similar to the first goal that he scored for Inter Miami off of a free kick at Red Bull Arena against the New York Red Bulls, but it came on the other side of the field, but it was very similar in that it was it was off center to the left and he smashed it to the far post. So it was very similar, also very similar to the goal he scored against FC Cincinnati this earlier this year. So Yes, he, it's it's definitely uh, one of his staples, at least as far as 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 far as his Inter Miami uh, stint or his Inter Miami tenure has gone. Those free kicks, potent free kicks to the top corner. So definitely something he can turn to. Something he has in his game. It's not just a one off. We've seen it at least at least three times now. So yeah, I, I agree. It was a, it was a heck of a goal, and I agree with you fully that Inter Miami looked really really good. Really, really good up until the red card. There was times when they were knocking the ball around with quick one to two touch passing that I thought was pretty impressive from the South Florida side, especially against the Red Bulls team that was at home, that was the fourth place team in the Eastern Conference heading into the game, that is known for high pressing and being difficult to play against. Inter Miami played through them, around them. 
and they played a smart game, and and you could see the confidence they were playing with. Damian Lowe on one sequence, you know, instead of hoofing the ball upfield, which would have been easy to do under pressure, he he takes a cut inside and gets by the. Uh, I, I don't know if it was Lewis Morgan. I'm trying to remember who who was pressing him, but he gets by him and then he keeps the sequence going, the build up going by passing it instead of launching the ball forward and raffling it for a 50-50. So. Great start for Inter Miami in this one. They did have some chances, like you mentioned, the the last year one. He rushed his shot and obviously wasn't on his preferred foot, but he should have put that one away. Iguain's redirect of a Gene Mota shot. You know, you could you could say that could have been a goal, but it's more of a I think it's more of a of a half chance than anything. But I mean, it was a, it was a clear chance as well to to score. I don't know if Iguain would have let the ball go. Probably would have been a goal, or the keeper would have uh, saved uh, up. Carlo Coronel maybe gets. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a, it, it seems like a half chance yeah. to me because you know the keeper may have made the save, and Iguain tries to redirect it. It's not the easiest, even though he's in close. It's not the easiest from where he was standing. His position way to the left, towards the near post. Hard for him to redirect that on frame, although it's it's possible. It's possible. We've seen players do it, whether with a flick or just a, a, a hard, you know, planted right foot. But he wasn't able to turn it or get his body rounded enough to get it on frame. So neither of those go in, but he does score off the free kick, so Inter Miami takes the lead. They jump out in front. Then Pozuelo's red card happens in the 29th minute, 10 minutes after Higuain scores. And I want to hear your thoughts. We haven't really talked about it, you and I, directly, Curious to hear your yeah. thoughts on you if you think it was worthy I, of a red. If you I, think it was, it should have stayed a, a yellow because again, Bosacos never handed Bosuelo yellow, at least not from what we could see on the broadcast. But he brought he took the yellow out of his pocket, so it looked like he was going to give Bosuelo a yellow before changing his mind on VAR. I have I have friends and I have family that have very adamantly said Maybe. it should have been a yellow card. What do you think, Miguel? What do you think? I mean, my my first reaction was, damn, that's a red card. Like, my first reaction, like, live. Mm-hmm. Like, from not even watching a replay, I was like, yeah, that's a red card right there. Obviously, obviously there's no intention from Pozuelo. But even though I feel like uh, Neville said it during the press conference, it is a red card if you, if you see it. Uh, his leg was way up there, uh, straight to his chest, I believe. You know, cleats right to his chest. So, yeah, uh, it's a red card. I, I do understand that people are saying it's not a yellow card because obviously there's no intention. In, in, no, you say people that are no, saying it is a no. yellow card or that's not a yellow card? No, for me, for me, it's a, a red card. No, no, right, right. right. But you said, you said you understand people that are saying it's not a yellow I, card or people that are saying it is a yellow card? No, I, I understand people are saying that is a that is a yellow card okay, because okay. of that, that intention. Yes. Okay, no, sorry, because you said you understand people that are saying it's not a yellow card, so I just wanted to clarify. No, no, it's for the way around. Okay. I understand people are saying that it's a yellow card okay. because obviously Pozuelo does not have an intention to right. hurt the player or like go right. straight with with cleats. Right. I had a I had a very heated debate with a family member uh, in the aftermath of this game because that was that was their argument that there was no there was no intention or, or bad intention from Pozuelo. To do that, and while I understand that argument and I understand that point, and I agree full-heartedly with Phil Neville, as well as with my family member, that Pozuelo had no intention to stick his cleats into Andres Reyes' chest or torso, I still think now, and I thought immediately during the game, that it was a red card. Because you you can't just put your studs that high up and hit somebody in the, in the chest or in the torso, however you want to label it, and get away with that. I mean, it's not really a soccer or a football move. Otherwise, we would see that all the time. We would see boots into the chest or boots boots into the torsos all the time. And 
look, if it was a shorter player, obviously Andres Reyes has some height to him. If it was a shorter player, could have got him in the face. And and then is it a red card because you get him in the face and not the chest? I mean, so I think it's a red card. It's unfortunate because he is trying to play the ball. He is trying to bring it down. And you do see it from time to time. You see players try to come down with acrobatic ways to, to trap the ball and, and control it. So it's not it's an unseen move, but you can't have the studs that high up and yeah, show it's it like that. It's a dangerous play. Exactly, and it's 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 not like you said. Una jugada peligrosa. Claro, pero no es no es malintencionada. Solamente que es correct, un poco correct. un poco torpe. It's not it's not uh, malintentioned. It's just a little clumsy and a little bit careless. And that's and you can get a red card for being clumsy and careless. You don't necessarily have to be violent or 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 have bad intention to get a red card. And and I thought the red card was was deserved. Now Phil Neville after the game, you touched on some of his comments. He said it was a deserved red card. He said he wasn't frustrated with, you know, with the, that wasn't what he was frustrated about when he talked about his frustration post-game. But I I didn't really buy that. I didn't, I mean, did you buy that explanation, Ron? Because, like, throughout, you, you could tell, you could sense he was frustrated. But there was, like, little bits and pieces of things that he said where, like, to me, it, come, it comes off as, like, yes, he was really frustrated with that refereeing decision. But he's so, so impotent against bad refereeing decisions after seeing about, them happen yes. that mm-hmm. he, he just feels helpless. Like there's not there's nothing he can do about it, and he doesn't want to complain publicly because he knows how that comes off. But he also and he also knows he can get fined. But at the same time, it is something that irks him. And Phil Neville's a pretty straight shooter, so you know you, I felt like he was he was conflicted there and trying to say yes, but no, no, but yes because I mean, because he he, 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 he talks took a about shot at the referee as well, Wayne. When he said, oh, if I talk to Howard Webb tomorrow, he's going to be blah, 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 blah. Exactly, blah, you know? exactly. He said, if I call Howard Webb on Monday and and I talk to him about this play, well, Howard Webb will probably be like, well, Phil, blah, 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 and yeah. nothing will happen, so there's no point. That was me paraphrasing what Phil Neville said there as, as you yeah. did as well. So clearly, clearly he's frustrated. Clearly, I mean, he may not have said this, but there's no denying, and I, and I said it when I asked the question post-game, it was the turning point in the match. And you, you said it oh, perfectly. Sure. You said it perfectly. There was a game before the red card and a game after the red card. Because after the red card, Inter-Miami became very defensive-minded, obviously, with under- oh, understanding sure. it. They have one less man away from home. They became more defensive-minded. And the Red Bulls then became more aggressive. They started you know, dictating the tempo more. They started to get more of the ball. They started to knock it around. They were finding spaces better. There was definitely a, a change after that red card. And... You know, the Red Bulls, I don't think they were that sharp, even though they had more of the ball, even though Inter-Miami lost its control after Pozuelo was sent off. I didn't think the Red Bulls looked all that good or all that great with the ball until those in the first half, yeah. but until those final few minutes of the first half where they started to find yeah. more of a rhythm, and then Lewis Morgan comes up with the goal in the 43rd. If he doesn't come up with that goal and Inter-Miami takes a 1-0 lead into the halftime break... Maybe maybe the result isn't a defeat. Maybe they can come up. Maybe they come out of this one with a draw. But they gave up a goal in the forty third minute, and that put them in a, in a bad spot because then the Red Bulls had more confidence. They came out of the half in front of their home crowd, which looked pretty decent. You know, with with waves and waves of attacks, yeah. it didn't take them all that long to eight minutes into the second stanza to score again. So you know, at that point, Inter Miami's under it again. Duncan gets a red card in the seventieth. Inter Miami, okay, at that point could be like, all right, well, maybe, maybe 
you know, we can get our way back into this when it's 10 against 10, we're on even terms, or they're on a, on, on a level playing field, or on even terms, but that's not the case, Caden Clark scores a nice goal, chests it down, and, and, and kicks the ball into the near post past the Drake calendar, 3-1, to one, Inter-Miami doesn't really, didn't really have much after that, Damian Lowe had two chances late on when he was occupying the striker role, he was playing more of a striker at the end of the game, one is a header, one right into the hands of Red Bull's goalkeeper, Carlo Coronel, and then, on a one-on-one look, a one-on-one look, huh? Damian Lowe on a one-on-one look. Ne- never thought I'd see that uh, in my life. But Damian it really Lowe, surprised me. Yeah, he was, he was through on goal, one-on-one, like a striker. But he can't. He doesn't have the quality or he didn't have the composure to finish that opportunity against Coronel. Coronel makes an easy, relatively easy kick save, despite it being one-on-one. And look... I know some people were like, oh, how does, how does Damian Lowe miss that? I think even Phil Neville after the game said it was like, you know, he thought it was a clear, clear-cut chance that Inter-Miami should have put away. I don't expect a center back to put that away more often than not. If they can, if if Damian Lowe would have put that away, if he would have chipped it or finished it to the far point, or if he would have just put that in the back of the net, kudos to him for having that ability to do so as a center back who doesn't normally take shots in a game, who doesn't feel that 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 type of play or that doesn't have that type of incident happen very often for him right if at all so I, I don't expect him to put that away I don't so I don't I can't criticize him for not putting it away because it'd be like saying oh well you need a striker to to be able to win one-on-one battles against a very pacey winger like it's not it's not his strength it's not what he does and yes he's a professional player yada 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 but he's a center back his strengths are in I mean, the defense not of not a, not in the attack he's not he's not Sergio Ramos he's not you know so I don't. I couldn't expect him to put that away. Even if he does, it's three two, and there's probably sixty seconds left in the game at most. At most. So, around the end of the game, Emerson one on one with the goalkeeper. You know, Emerson is not the best finisher, but he should be able to score that. But that second half, Inter Miami didn't have a whole lot because they were down a man for twenty five minutes in that second half, or more than twenty five minutes. They were down for. They were yeah, 25 minutes, 25 minutes, sorry, 25 minutes. Yeah, so, so you know, for more than half of the second half, they were playing with a numerical disadvantage, and they were defending because the halftime substitutions that Phil Neville made in this one were Ryan Saylor for Kieran Gibbs. That meant that Christopher McVeigh went out to the left-back spot, and Emerson Rodriguez, who you just mentioned, for Gonzalo Higuain up top. Now, we found out after the game that Gonzalo Higuain suffered an injury, and that's why he was removed. Initially, I thought it was due to tactical reasons. I thought, you know, Higuain, without Pozuelo, playing as just a striker, when Inter Miami's down to 10 men, I didn't think that that played to his strengths. Because when, when, when Higuain doesn't have a 10, whether it's with 11 players or 10 players on the field, he tends to to struggle a bit more because now there's nobody that can facilitate for him. There's no one that can get him the ball. He, you know, and in this game without Pozuelo, Inter Miami started hoofing long balls after the red card. They just started pumping long balls up to Iguain. Iguain, even though he's in a better, it looks like he's in better shape now. Even though he's he's got a better mindset and mentality now, from what we can see on the outside, or from what it looks like for those of us on the outside. He's still not his best when his back is to goal and when he has to fight, you know, physical center backs and he has to try to play, do hold-up play. It's not really his bread and butter. It's not what he's best at. And, and he struggled with that against the very physical Aaron Long. Now, again, 
Apparently, he took a, a, a knock to the calf, and that forced his substitution. I thought, again, I thought it was more tactical. Emerson Rodriguez up top looking for speed on the counter. Iguain doesn't provide that. So speed on the counter when you're going to be replegando, when you're going to be retreating and obviously defending and parking the bus almost to try to, to at least get a result, a one-to-one result, if not a goal on the tra- in transition or goal on the counter to try to, to try to get three. So I thought that was the move. But apparently, Iguain did suffer an injury. He's a question mark for Wednesday. Now, uh, Franco, before switching up to, uh, of course, after the red card, everyone knew that game for Iguain was almost over because he knew Inter Miami was going to you know, go back and throw long ball. And obviously, Iguain is not the type of player anymore. Right. So why would not why would Phil not would not take Iguain out in the first half, knowing that the game was over for? Gonzalo Iguain, you know, unless he had one clear chance, he was not going to do barely anything in the game. Well, so I think that was. I think, listen, I, I won't criticize Phil Neville for that. I, I get your point, and I agree that, Phil, you know, Gonzalo Iguain, like I just said, without a 10, without a facilitator playmaking behind him, he, he's less effective, especially if he's, you know, forced to play with his back to goal as he was after Pozuelo was sent off. But I think Phil Neville was just feeling the game out, trying to see how, how the game would unfold 11 on 10, and then at halftime make the necessary adjustments. So, you know, if if you want to criticize him, you know, you could say Inter Miami lost 15 minutes there and not subbing Iguain off immediately, but I don't have a problem with Phil Neville feeling the game out and seeing how it worked. Now, obviously, when you see that you're pumping long balls forward, your team's only pumping long balls forward, and they can not they can no longer keep possession and... and, and have the successful build-up and the build-out that they had before the ejection, well, then obviously then you can make some halftime alterations, which, again, they were made by, by Phil Neville. Red Bull still proved to be too much for the Herons. So, These type of games, I'm sorry I'm going back to this player, but Robbie Robinson will be perfect. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here I'm, we I'm, go. Look, look, look. Oh, wait, wait, I got I to I gotta share this with the listeners because they're not going to understand why I, has, why I just had that reaction. <laughs> so, Miguel... And I, as well as Andrea and Jose, Michelle Coffin of the Miami Herald, who, by the way, very thankful that she allowed me to fill in for her. She's on vacation. so I was Great able, article, I, by the way. Oh, I appreciate that, Miguel. Very nice of you. This is why they call you Michael Peace. So nice and pleasant. Um, no, look, we, we've had, uh, and Michelle's going to let me actually, by the way, for you listeners, also cover for her on Wednesday at the Miami Herald because she's still going to be on vacation. So thank you to Michelle Coffin. Shout out to her. I hope she's having a great time, a wonderful time on her vacation, which I know she is actually because we uh, WhatsApped earlier today. But anyway. Back to Robbie Robinson. Miguel and I and a few other colleagues have debated multiple times, especially when there's weather delays at DraftPink Stadium, over Robbie Robinson. It's a topic that comes up quite often because, you know, I, I think Miguel and a few others know how I feel about Robbie Robinson as a player and his career trajectory to this point. Whereas Miguel and others still think Robbie Robinson has a lot of potential if he can stay healthy. I don't agree with that, but we tend to have these these strong debates, especially while we're waiting for the weather to clear up about Robbie Robinson. So obviously now that Miguel says Robbie Robinson would have been perfect for this type of game, well, that's why I said here we go, because I don't agree with that necessarily. But Robbie Robinson is out for the rest of the season, Correct. at least that's what we expect. So it's a moot point. So I won't even argue with it or debate that because, I mean, I don't agree with it, but there's no point to debate it because Robbie Robinson is not 
healthy. So you know, Inter Miami. Yeah, we'll a point. Uh, of course, you have you have to give your Robbie Robinson love. You have to try to try to see if you can reel me in for the debate. I'm not going to let you reel me in, Miguel Peace. I'm not going to let you do it. So anyway, all right, let's let's put a bow on this game by talking about the fact that three former Inter Miami's played a part. Three former Inter Miami players, excuse me, played a part in Inter Miami's demise again. Andres Reyes. Takes the the cleats to the to the chest, red card. Lewis Morgan scores the equalizer. Dylan Nilas gets the headed assist on the third goal. So, what do you think about that? that? That was an interesting wrinkle, an interesting subplot for me in this one because former Inter Miami players, all all three of them, all three of the former Inter Miami players that are on the Red Bulls roster, they they impacted the game in some way, shape, or form against their former side. Uh, Franco, what do you think about players celebrating goals against their? previous team i have no problem with that and lewis morgan did celebrate his goal a left uh low left-footed effort to the far post past drake calendar who i thought in this game did not cover himself in glory i thought he should have done better certainly on the equalizing goal and and even on the third goal as well but i have no problem to answer your question with players celebrating against their former teams it's completely up to them. I also understand and respect if you decide you don't want to do that because it's a sign of respect. But if you want to celebrate it, I have no issue with that. And Lewis Morgan, let's 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 you know to be fair to Lewis Morgan, Lewis Morgan didn't celebrate it like euphorically and, and go wild or or you know anything that could have really ruffled some inner Miami feathers. He just he did the Breck Shea celebration where he yeah. put the the L over his face. And I don't know if that's a sign because they were good friends when they were teammates last year or, or and the year prior, or if because, you know, Breck Shea's injured and, and going through, you know, his longstanding injury issues that, that Lewis Morgan did that. Obviously, we haven't seen... Or a Bre- message to the front office or coach, you know, you guys took a note by signing me or... Not having me on the team? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. Listen. You don't think so? You know, this is pure speculation on my part. Pure speculation for the listeners and for you. This is not inside information. But Brexhay's been injured for a good bit this year. For a good bit. We have not seen him for a long time. He there was one point where he was he was on the bench, but now he's not on the bench again. And we haven't gotten an injury update. But Brexhay has had injury issues over the last few years, whether they're they're of the varying sort or not. Maybe he's at the point. Maybe again, supposition, not information. Supposition. Maybe he's at the point. It's a possibility for why Bre- excuse me, Friday Lewis Morgan might have done his his celebration. Maybe he's at the point where retirement is being contemplated. Maybe and maybe Lewis Morgan did that as like a, a nod to a friend and a former teammate. Maybe, maybe. I don't think. I don't think it was a shot. I don't. I didn't take it, and I didn't see in Lewis Morgan's face, like you know anger like I, I didn't see i didn't take it maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong but i didn't take it as him as him taking a shot at inter miami i just saw oh, him yeah. just kind of you know paying tribute or a nod to to a former former teammate so yeah makes sense as for two players who did not start in this game that did come off the bench as well were robert taylor and bryce duke now very quickly to wrap up this game Actually, I have two questions for you, but one of the talking yeah. points here. Initially, you know, Ryan Saylor and, and again, Emerson Rodriguez come in. And the idea was to defend and protect the one-to-one. 
right? Try to try to what? salvage a draw. So that's what Phil Neville looked like he was going for. The goal comes early, so then things change, right? The 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 lineup or the personnel, excuse me, changes because at that point, then Phil Neville goes from having Vasilev and Lasseter on the wings to deploying Taylor Quarantine. and Quarantine Jean, who have a little bit more football and are a little bit more technical. But that didn't work. And then later on, we see Bryce Duke come on. So the players that had football in this one, they were saved. I mean, they weren't saved. They, they didn't get the start. And, and, you know, we can't criticize Inter-Miami because they, or Phil Neville for that because they played well without them. They still showed good things. But without them on the field and 10 players, you know, it, it, it's, I think it's understandable and that's the reasoning why we saw Inter Miami just pump long ball after long ball because they essentially now had no more. They had very few players on the field that tienen buen pie that are are good with their feet. That are very good with their feet. That are technical players that have a lot of soccer to them, a lot of football. You know, clean touch, clean passes that that have that type of understanding and and that type of game to them. You know, Lasseter and Vasilev are more of the you know, physical variety. Lasseter is very, very speedy. Vasilev is a, is a, is a workhorse who, who has some quickness to him. So, you know, once they, once they lost Pozuelo, given that they didn't have those aforementioned players on the field to start, Taylor, Duke, and Corentin John to an extent, you know, that they, they didn't have much technically to, to be able to keep the ball for large stretches, which is why I think you saw them pump ball after ball to Higuain. Uh, and obviously that that wasn't a recipe for success. So anyway, let's move forward. Actually, no, the last question I had for you, I keep I almost forgot. What do you think of Drake Callender's performance in this one? Do you do you agree um, with me that he should have done better on a few of the goals there? Okay, so yeah, um, actually I wanted to come back to when we were talking about the first goal from the New York Red Bulls about Drake Callender. He that he had a lot to do with that goal. I think he should have saved that. I think I believe the ball went under his hand. Yeah. Uh, he was a little bit softer with his arm. And then the other two goals, uh, I have no problems. And I've been seeing this a lot from Drake Callender uh, coming uh, coming out, out for the ball. You know, he's having a little bit of issues. So, yeah, we'll see what Phil Neville decides to do. I think he's going to keep him, obviously. Uh, the season about is about to end, so there's no point of switching him now. But, yeah, the first goal, definitely Callender should have done better. And you see, and you see it on the first goal how frustrated he is with himself because he's you know he yeah. he pounds the ground a few times afterwards because he got a hand on it and he and he got a hand on it and he should have should have done better there he should have parried it he should have had a, a firmer hand a stronger hand easy to say from the outside but clearly you can tell by his reaction he knows that that is uh, a a chance he he could save so yeah definitely definitely a mistake on his part look and on the second goal there's nothing he can do about that inter miami as a whole on that sequence was very passive in my opinion i believe indiana vasilev twice when instead of clearing the ball or getting it out of danger he he loses the ball or, or clears it very poorly then the red bulls are able to reset kyle duncan whips in across it's cleared by damian low gregory then i don't know if it was i don't know if it was yeah. you know it, the passiveness. He was sleeping there. But, right, I don't. But I don't know if it was the passiveness of of Vasilev or the entire team. I don't want to just blame Vasilev, but it is. You know, when you see a teammate playing well, it can be contagious, and when you see a teammate playing poorly, it can be contagious. You know that 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 feeling on the field. So Gregory on that sequence, very rare from him. Very rare from him. You know, he 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 waits for the ball to come to him instead of attacking the ball to clear it, and that allows 
uh, Edelman to, to jump in front of him and then take it on the on the half volley and smash it to the bottom left corner or Drake Callender's right side. And Drake Callender could do nothing nothing about that. That that's a little bit more on Gregory uh, in in his inability to to react better there. Now the third goal to just to wrap up again a headed pass from Dylan Nealis to Caden Clark and he smashes it again to the near post. Again, I'm of the belief, and I've said this oof, since one of the early pods when it was Eric Krakauer and I, you know, el, go, el arquero tiene que tener su primer palo. Siempre tiene que cubrir su primer palo. The goalkeeper has yes, to cover yes. his first post. Like, the near post, that's the one he has to cover. It's, a, it's harder for an attacker to direct a shot across his body to the far post than it is to the near post, just by sheer distance and by sheer, sheer physics, generally speaking. So... The rule of thumb is cover your near post and hey, if they beat you to the far post, then so be it. But you give yourself the best chance to avoid a goal. And in this one, you know, Caden Clark brings it down. He's he's left on side by Christopher McVeigh, who didn't get in line with the defense. Again, Christopher McVeigh went from center back to left back in this game. Maybe that played a part in it, maybe not. But Christopher McVeigh gets caught napping for a split second. And then Caden Clark, again, very technically brings down the ball with his chest and in a smooth motion. Powers it past Calendar. But Calendar should have done better because the shot came to his near post. It was another shot that is savable. Yes, it's potent. Yes, it's you know has a lot of power behind it, but I still think Drake Calendar should have done better there. And you know, if you've listened to the pod for the last several weeks, you've you've heard me in the last several months, you've heard Andrea and Jose debate with me very strongly that Nick Marsman should should be back in goal. I have, you know, said that I think Drake Calendar is the number one. That said, in this game, he could have done better on two of the goals. Absolutely. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, I agree I agree with you. He should be the number one. You know, there's no point of switching him now at this point of the but season. But who do you think is a better goalkeeper? I think it's going to make it worse, who do you think? Who do you think is a better goalkeeper out of the two? Do you agree, with your, do you uh, agree with your Rick, catrachos? Do you agree with Andrea and Jose that, that you, you think Nick Marsman is the better of the two goalkeepers? They're different goalkeepers. They're different, but who's opinion. better? Like, I mean, it's a tough question, to be honest. It's 50-50 for me. But I'll, I'll go with Drake Callender, to be honest. Why? Uh, I mean, the season he he even had this year, like, you know, he's definitely saved Inter-Miami several several occasions so far. I think he's pretty good with his hands. You know, a couple of games, did, he has been a little bit off. Uh, I believe uh, Marsman is way better with his feet. That's, that's the only issue I have with Drake Callender. With his feet, the ball with his feet. Right, he's not he's not as good technically and as not as good of a passer as as Nick Marsman is. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, Nick has been playing in Europe for a couple couple of years. So, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean just because you played in Europe for more years that you're going to be a better passer, or better technically. I mean, he's Dutch, so you know you could say that. But I don't know if you're just because you're in Europe, you're definitely you're you know you're necessarily automatically better with your feet. I think. Look, Drake Callender, I've said it before. He's a better shot they stopper. Play, they play more with the. Yes, continue. <laughs> no, he's a better shot stopper. He's better at coming yeah. off his line to collect crosses. Now, is he as experienced? No. Is he as maybe as vocal as Nick Marsman is? No. And again, he's not technically anywhere uh, near as good as as Nick Marsman. It, but I think, look, you know, to be fair, I think it's been a while since we've seen one of those games where you could say Drake Callender saved Inter Miami. It's been a little while now. I don't recall a game lately that I've been like, okay, Drake Callender was one of the top performers. And, you know, maybe that speaks to the job the attack is doing. Ethan has been playing really good lately, but they definitely 
and trying to score almost every game. So well, right, because they've opened themselves up a bit. They're they're attacking now. They're they're taking more and more chances, taking more risks. That leaves chance that leaves spaces in behind, so the other teams will have more opportunity. But I don't recall a game recently where I was like, okay. Drake Callender saved Inter Miami's bushes, but uh, it look something else to add to his to his characteristics. I think he's a better you know he's better with his hands in general. He, he catches the ball a lot more, and, and I think he's a little bit more sound in that way, or gives you más seguridad, more security in that way. I actually, I think I've even seen some Inter Miami players comment on Drake Callender's Instagram account like seguridad, aka you know that translates to security. Yeah. So anyway, all right, let's switch gears to Wednesday's game. It's a big one. Inter-Miami remains in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. This weekend's defeat, this past weekend's defeat, didn't do anything in terms of their position in the table. But they are now only one point above Cincinnati, which is in eighth place. Columbus right now is in seventh. So they trail Inter-Miami by one. I might have just made that confusing. Let's, let's, let us let's me clear that up. Sorry. Inter-Miami is in sixth place with 36 points from 27 games. Columbus Crew, who they play on Wednesday in Columbus, has played 26 games. So they have a game in hand on Inter-Miami. And they are even on points with Inter-Miami. They have 36. In eighth place right now is FC Cincinnati, which has played 27 games just like Inter-Miami. But they're on 35 points. They have one point less than the South Florida side. After that, New England's in ninth with 34 points. Toronto is in 10th with 33. Atlanta in 11th with 33. Charlotte in 12th with 32. So, from 6th place, which is 36 points from Inter-Miami, to 12th, which is held by Charlotte, there's a 4-point difference. A 4-point gap. So, it's still very tight, and Wednesday's game will be pretty big because it has major playoff implications columbus will be at home columbus with a win would help solidify or help better solidify its place in the playoffs although there's still a lot of twists and turns to go in these remaining seven eight games for these teams so miguel what does inter miami have to do on wednesday night to get a result and is a draw in your opinion good enough for them on wednesday I think a draw is is a win for Inter Miami, no, especially this team is horrible away. By the way, I, I'm sorry, I don't know the record, but I think the only time they won the previous like ten games is against San Jose. Is either they they lose the game or they draw. This team is not that good uh, away. They didn't even prefer, perform the same way they played at home, obviously, but yeah, they don't score as as well away from home, so that's that's an issue. And uh, yeah, I believe a draw is is a pretty good result for Inter Miami, especially against Columbus and Alcucho Hernandez, you know, up front. So, Inter Miami has not been that good from home, right? They have a two win, three draw, eight loss record up until this point. It's their home their home form that's really been good: eight wins, three draws, three losses. So yes, they have not been great away from home. And Phil Neville said that and has said that in re- recent weeks. He reiterated it on Saturday night in his post-game press conference that their away form will likely determine if they make the playoffs or not because more of the remaining games on the schedule are away from Drive Pink Stadium. I think there's only three left at Drive Pink Stadium. Now there's four away from home. There, it was five before this Red Bulls game. So this is a big one for Inter Miami. And I agree with you that I think a draw is enough for them. 
Yeah. Because especially without Pozuelo. Exactly. Especially anyway. without Pozuelo. I don't I don't know if Higuain's ruled out. I know Phil Neville on Saturday night said, you know, he's 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 a doubt. He's very likely to miss the game because he took a studs to the calf and but he didn't rule him out completely. He didn't rule him out completely. And again, but Iwain, so let's say he plays Iwain's not going to be 100% though, right? He won't be 100% and he won't have Pozuelo, which has been a massive part in his resurgence as an impact player for Inter Miami this year. So, yes, if you don't have Pozuelo in there, I think it's a blow, and I think a draw would would be a good result for the team. I agree with you. Now, who replaces Pozuelo? How do you replace Pozuelo in the lineup? How do you go about it, Miguel? Or Actually, before you tell me that, how do you think Phil Neville goes about it? How do you see Phil Neville replacing Pozuelo? Because there's no true number 10 on the... On the excuse me on the on the bench. On the so yeah. So how do you go about it? Do you think he goes attack minded and, and brings in Bryce Duke? Do you think he he just plays without a ten and goes a little bit more defensive minded? How do you think Phil Noble approaches this? If in my opinion, the one and only Bryce Duke, I think he's I think Bryce Duke should come back into the game, or Robert Taylor playing that position that we have seen Robert Taylor playing the position that uh, Pozuelo is playing. But I think, I think he will go with Bryce Duke again. Bryce Duke. I would like to see Bryce Duke starting again. So, but do you play him in the hole in the four-two-three-one? Do you go four-three-three? What do you think? Well, what do you think Phil Neville does? Now, I'm not saying what Miguel does, but what does Phil Neville do? In Miguel, in Miguel's Neville? opinion. I mean, it's like you never know with Phil Neville. To be honest, he's he's a tough tough coach to, you know, predict like what he's gonna do. Right. So, he's, he, so you're saying he's he's a, he's a tough to predict. Yeah, tough to predict. Yes, he's a tough to predict coach. Um, to be honest, I don't know because it's a it's a tough it's a tough game for Inter Miami. I okay, think if, so if I, I have some lose, inside uh, information. Yeah. I have some inside information. I'm going to share. Oh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Exclusiva. <laughs> uh, I have heard quite a bit about the traveling roster that Inter Miami is taking to Columbus. Georgia Costa is on that team. Or is on that roster. Interesting. And to me, if Georgia Costa, excuse me, Georgia Costa is on the roster, who's a more attack-minded eight, but played as a ten at times, uh, you know, when he was in playing for the MLS Next Pro side last year, that to me says he wants another attack option on the bench, which means to me he'll have an attack option in the lineup. So I think Phil Neville is going to stay. I'm not saying gung ho. But I do think he'll stay relatively attack-minded. I don't think he's going to put Inter Miami into a defensive shell just because Pozuelo's not there. I could be wrong. So maybe, four two maybe. three one for you. It could be a four two three one or it could be a four three three. I, I don't I don't know the formation. I just think if Acosta's traveling, that that means that we're going to see Bryce Duke probably in the lineup. That's just what I think. And I, I could even see like you said, Robert Taylor in back in there as well. Maybe for Eric that- Lasseter, maybe for Indiana Vasilev. I do think we'll see a more technical team on Wednesday night than we did against the Red Bulls. Even though Inter Miami, again, played well for those first 29 minutes with the personnel it had, and they knocked the ball around well. But it was among the most impressive stretches of play that they've had this season. Shame for them that, you know, Pozuelo got that red card and they couldn't sustain it as a result because they were playing very, very I mean, well. Very, see- very well. Yeah. 
you also have to see, uh, you know, you didn't, he didn't rule out Iwain, but you also have to see if Iwain is available to I, play. I think he's going, man. I think he's because playing. Because if if Iwain is not playing, who's going to play in the position for Iwain? Coco. So that so th- that that's a good that's a good one. That's a good shout. That's a good shout. Because if Iguain doesn't play, let's say let's go with the scenario like you just said, the hypothetical. Iguain does not play. Yo. Now you're missing your two most dangerous attackers, Iguain and Pozuelo. Now you don't really have a true number nine. Well, except for Coco, who who said he prefers to play there, yeah. but we don't really know his characteristics all that well and how he fits into Inter Miami's you know system. But that's a, that's an option. Emerson Rodriguez could be another option, although he's not the best finisher, but he does have the pace yeah. to, to stretch a defense. Ariel Lasseter is another option, although that's not his preferred position, and he's also not the most ruthless in the final third. Coco could be a good shout. Coco could be a very good shout if if Iguain can't go. But I do think Iguain plays. And I don't have inside information as to that. I just think he... I, I, I don't. I, sometimes I think Phil Neville exaggerates a little bit. And I think he was like... I felt like he was exaggerating a little bit in terms of like how bad Iguain was for Wednesday. So I think Iguain plays. Especially with the situation that they're in. You know, they're, they're still fighting for their playoff lives. I, I, I think he plays. I think he plays. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I can't tell you this. I can't. I, mean, I, I can tell you this. This is also this is inside information. Iguain did not practice on Monday, but again, mm. don't I don't think he'll be ruled out. I don't think he'll be ruled out. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. Miguel, Columbus is eight wins, twelve ties, twelve, and six draw. Excuse me, six losses on the season. At home, they have a record of five wins, four draws, and four losses. So they're not unbeatable. Correct. Inter Miami could beat them. And if they had Pozuelo, I think they would have a much better chance, obviously. That's not rocket science. They don't. Yeah. But they don't. Let's assume Higuain's in there. What does Inter Miami have to do to get a win against this Columbus team? What What is the key to the game for you? I mean, is that... This this whole team changed around Pozuelo, to be honest. Like, because if you don't have Pozuelo there, who's going who's going to create for this Inter Miami team? Pozuelo is basically the creator of this team. Ninety percent of the balls have to go through uh, Pozuelo, and he's not there. Who's going to create Bryce Duke? But we have seen Bryce Duke level go form go down a little bit since the beginning of the season. We have seen Robert Taylor form go down as well. Lasseter, Lasseter. He's been playing pretty good the last couple of games. Uh, I'm just really worried about this Inter Miami team away from home because if this game was was at home, I would have been. They definitely have a shot, but away from home, it's gonna be tough. They have to attack though. They have to attack Columbus if they won't want to take a, at least a point away from Columbus. But what do they have to do to give themselves the best chance? You think attack? That's the key to the game. Attack. Absolutely, because defending is—they're not that great at defending. So I think attacking, attacking Columbus—they have a shot to win this game. Okay, so it's not keeping possession. It's not—it's not limiting Columbus by having more of the ball and controlling. Well, if, if you attack, you have to keep. Not necessarily. Attack, no, no, no. That's not true. Keep possession. No, that's not true. Because you can, you can. Unless be, you want to play counterattack. And, no, no, no. Because you can be a very direct team. You can be a very direct team and and attack, but you don't necessarily care for possession. Look, Columbus under Caleb Porter is his style. It's his style when he was with the Portland Timbers. It's just his style as a coach. He likes to have possession. That's what he likes. And obviously they have 
Darlington Nagby in there. So they're a team that will try to dictate the tempo, especially at home. At home, yeah. So for me, if you're Inter-Miami, the key to the game is not necessarily going toe-for-toe with them, although I do think Inter-Miami needs to attack. But I think... Well, there's two things, but I'll, I'll say what I think is most important. Is is stopping that midfield from feeding Cucho Hernandez. Because if Hernandez gets steady service against an Inter-Miami team that looks to come out and play a little bit, well, there's going to be spaces for him to, to cap, potentially capitalize on. And, and I would bet on him capitalizing on them if he gets those chances because he's been in pretty good form since he's joined the Columbus crew in the midseason. The Colombian striker has been scoring goals for the team. So that to me is, is the key to the game. Not necessarily, you're not going to necessarily boss possession or dictate the tempo, but don't let that midfield and don't let that build up find Cucho Hernandez. Make sure you keep him neutralized as much as possible. That me- that requires organization, that requires communication, that requires concentration. Again, and I don't want that to come off as I'm saying Inter Miami needs to be defensive minded because I do think they need to come out and play a bit. I don't think just being defensive minded and looking to hit on the counter is going to work. I mean, maybe that's the game plan if Higuain can't play. But if he can, and they can attack a little bit. They can attack this team, Columbus, especially with the way that the Inter Miami's been playing, even though, again, Pozuelo's out. But you have to be good at the back. You have to be good at the back. You have to be tight. Don't let Cucho Hernandez beat you. Let somebody else beat you. Make force somebody else on Columbus besides Cucho Hernandez to beat you. But don't let that midfield find him. Don't let that midfield nourish him. Right. Don't let them control the game. Hey, listen, Columbus wants possession. Okay. That you know, you can live with that, especially without Pozuelo. But don't let that don't let that midfield nourish or or feed Cucho Hernandez early and often. Because if he does, if they do, excuse me, then I think it's Ramy's in trouble. Last question for you, and we'll wrap up this segment. Miguel, what happens on Wednesday night? I want a prediction, a pass prediction. Does Inter Miami win? Predicts. Does Inter Miami lose, or does Inter Miami tie? Oh, Franco! Last time Inter Miami played Columbus away from home, they lost four 0 Not good, right? Two different teams, man. Two different teams. I I, I can't compare but, last year's result to this year's result. That's not that for me. That's not right. an argument to be like, oh well, Inter Miami struggled last year, so they're going to struggle this year. That, that I don't think that necessarily means that. It doesn't necessarily mean that they won't struggle either, but. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, put those two together. But anyway, continue. What, what do you think happens on Wednesday night? No Pozuelo. That's huge for Inter Miami. They're not that good playing away from home. That that's that's something that worries me a lot about this team, especially going into the playoff if they make it. Uh, I'll, I think Columbus is gonna take this. Was probably one nil or two one. So Columbus wins. Columbus wins, yeah. How about you? What's your prediction? It's it's tough, man. It's tough because Columbus, while they have their strengths, like any team has their strengths, they also have weaknesses that I think Inter-Miami can exploit, especially if Inter-Miami can play as it has been playing in terms of the attack. Now, Pozuelo is a massive loss. And if Higuain's not there, he's also a big loss. 
because now they really have no proven striker option. So it gets very challenging and very tricky there. But again, I reiterate, and I'll repeat again again, think Higuain plays. I could see any result out of these in this game. I could see Miami winning. I could see them tying. It, I could it see them losing. Surprise me at all if Miami wins. By the way, I don't know about that. You were just criticizing them for how terrible their their away form is, and it has been terrible. But you know, based well, on they, based yeah. on based on the way you said it, I would be surprised if you think that they could win. You, I mean, you specifically. So I will say, Inter Miami. Ties this game. Ties. They get a, it took they, a long they, time. They get, I had to. I want to make sure. I wanted to make sure of my prediction because once it's out there, it's out there. I think they tie this game. I think they find a way to get a point. Was with goals or no goals? One one. I don't think it'll be very high scoring. And again, if if Columbus starts scoring goals, and you have to go blow for blow for them at home, I think that's a pretty tough task. So one one, one one. Again, I think it's Miami yes, will attack. I don't think they're going to to sit back and, and to try to park the bus, but I think they could be a little bit more cautious. They could drop the lines a little bit, a little bit, but also still look to in moments knock the ball around and try try to play. We'll see what personnel is available. We'll see how full level approaches it. It's another big game in terms of his game plan. Look, kudos to him because the game plan against the Red Bulls in the first thirty minutes and something you know we talked about we didn't mention in terms of his 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 game plan. The game plan worked really well. The players looked very confident. So that's a testament to the work he and his staff have been doing and how much this team is buying in and how much they've been enjoying playing this more attack-minded style. Yeah. Now it's another big game where he has to get the game plan right without Pozuelo. If he does, Inter Miami stands a better chance at winning. If he doesn't, and Inter Miami comes out of the gate struggling in this one, and we see them revert to form or revert back to the median or revert back to what they were earlier in the year when they were giving up goals early and they were always falling behind, then that presents an uphill climb, and you know that that's going to make things tough, especially since there, you know, there's pressure on both teams. There's pressure on both teams, but Inter Miami will feel it a bit if obviously they go down early. So let's see how it goes for them. If Inter, if Inter Miami gets the three points, I I believe this is going to be the most important three points they've gotten the whole season. Why? Because they're coming from you know from a loss, so they're definitely need to win the next game. Two, they don't have their best player playing, and three, they're away from home, which they haven't been that good. So I think uh, winning Columbus is going to be huge for Inter Miami if they do. And this is the last game that they play for a week and a half. Because, remember, the Orlando City game that was scheduled for this coming weekend was moved. It was moved until until next... Excuse me, until, moved until October. Moved until October. So the next game for Inter-Miami will be on September 10th. That is in two weekends from now. And that's against the Chicago Fire on the road. So, go into a bit of a... A little bit of a break. You know, on a high as opposed to feeling like you've had two losses or two or two letdowns. You know, again, a draw a draw's good enough. A draw's good enough. You know, it's it's not it's not a win. It's not going to separate you from the pack or, or, or push you up the table necessarily, but it keeps you in the fight and in this these difficult circumstances, I think that that's more than enough. 
given that there's still six games left to go in the year afterwards. So, all right, Mia, let's leave it there. We've talked a good bit. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do a very brief Q&A session, and we'll wrap up the pod after that. So let's do that after this. Q&A time. Let's make it quick because, again, it's a short turnaround between when this pod drops and when Inter Miami plays the Columbus Crew on Wednesday. So we'll do one, and it's from, we'll repeat from last week, Eric Yanis, no relation to Andrea Yanis, a.k.a. Ajisita, who, hey, by the way, Eric, shout out to you again because I know you went to the game on Saturday. I hope you had a good time despite the result given that you're an Inter Miami fan. Now, Eric asks, or he says, I feel the play by Pozuelo was reckless considering the lead and momentum that was in Inter-Miami's favor at that time. There's such a different team on the indie attack. When will Campana play again? And Bryce Duke should have came in at the start of the second half. A spark plug on the field. Miguel. So you take the Campana one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Campana's still working his way back from injury. We don't know exactly when he'll when he'll be ready. Although Phil Neville has said he's he's making tremendous progress. But I, I still think he's at least just me, this is my sensation and not information. I still think he's at least a few weeks away. A few weeks away. Chicago you know, if 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 he was ready for Chicago on September tenth, I think that would be incredible. And that would be, you know, best case scenario. But I just, I just, you know, I, I think it could be a little bit longer than that. We'll see. Yeah. As for should Bryce Duke, you know, and, you know, he thinks Bryce Duke should have came in at the start of the second half. I mean, there was a point where I was like, all right, maybe he, Phil Neville looks for more possession by bringing in right, Bryce yeah. Duke. But obviously, the injury to Iguain maybe forced his hand or took him away from from thinking that way and and having to be a little bit more defensive minded and looking for the counterattack. That's it's a possibility because I did think that. Bringing in Duke to try to give that midfield and that team a little bit more composure and calmness on the ball to defend con la pelota with the ball, you know, by having it not, yeah. not let, taking some sting out of the Red Bulls' momentum. I thought that was a, one way to go about it. But obviously, I mean, you lose some defense if, by bringing in Duke, right? Like the defense, the team loses some defending in that way, but you keep the ball better. So, you know, I thought that was a possibility, but obviously, if Iguain couldn't go anymore, then that that just changed changed everything. So. Anything you want to add there, Miguel? No, I, I mean, I agree with you. Um, I I thought the, the same thing as well watching the game. I mean, Bryce Duke would have made sense if you want to keep a little bit more possession of the ball. But then who else are you going to take out? Gregory Mota? Mm, not really. And then the only two options you have is Vasilev and Lasseter on the wing. And then, yeah, Bryce Duke on the wing is not a good option. He doesn't come. Yeah, he's not the best at defending. Let's just say that. <laughs> Miguel, actually, I'm gonna give I'm gonna add a Q to the QA. And I'm gonna ask you something I didn't ask you in the preview. What lineup would Miguel pass? What lineup would <laughs> Michael Peace go with on Wednesday? I want the whole the whole thing from back to front and formation included. Okay, so I'll go with the four two three one. Okay. Again. I'll go with Yellen, Damian Lowe, um, Ryan Saylor. And McVeigh as a left back. Gregory Mota. I go with Lasseter, 
Robert Taylor, Bryce Duke, and obviously Gonzalo if he's 100% healthy. So where is Bryce Duke playing? Is he on the wing or is he at the 10? No, as a, as a number 10 behind Gonzalo. So Taylor's on the wing. Yeah, Taylor's on the right wing, yeah. Okay. I don't... I don't hate that. It, curious, interesting that you went with Sailor in at, at center back over McVeigh at center back, and that means bringing in Gibbs at left back. But uh, you I know, put I put McVeigh as a as a left back. No, no, right. I, I understand. I'm just saying. You know, the, yeah. the decision was there either between. Sorry, I should have said it better. The decision there was either between Gibbs at left back or Sailor at center back, and you, you went with Sailor at center back, thus pushing McVeigh out to the left back. So. Interesting, and it's definitely something I think Phil Neville could do if he wants to shore up the center while also trying to be solid at, on the left side or on the left flank. I think that will tell us. That will tell us a lot about the game plan. Because if you see Kier, believe- if you see Kieran Gibbs at left back, I think that means, look, they're going to look to attack in moments, right? Because you have a, a yeah. marauding left back. Now, if he goes with Christopher McVeigh at left back and Ryan Saylor, for example, at center back next to Damian Lowe, then clearly there's more of a focus on well, the left back not getting forward so much, being a little bit more defensively tight, and having uh, another center back, so you have three in that back four, to try to help deal with Cucho Hernandez. So that decision to me, obviously with the rest of the lineup that we'll see, but I think more or less there won't be any real surprises, I think that will tell us quite a bit about what Phil Neville is planning. So when we see the lineup an hour before, even though Inter Miami's... (laughs) Even though Inter Miami's... Graphic designer loves putting out formations and looks, probably by instruction, though, so to be fair to the graphic <laughs> designer. But given that they like to put formations and graphics out there that don't necessarily resemble what we see, scratch that, don't mind that, but just look for who's playing left back for Inter-Miami. Because if it's Gibbs, expect Inter-Miami to come out and look to play a bit, like they did against the Red Bulls, or a, a lot bit. But I, again, I think yeah. they'll be they'll be moderate or smart in how they go about it. But if it's McVeigh... Expecting Miami to be a little bit more defensive minded. That does not mean that they won't attack at all, but just you know that, that I think that'll tell us either whether they're focusing a little bit more on the attack, or focusing a little bit more on the defense. We'll see. Do you agree with my starting eleven? Or so are you asking me what I would do, or are you asking me what I think Phil Neville does? Because that's a different no, question. Do you, do you agree with my starting eleven, or will you switch someone else? Okay, so I would go. Calendar, Yedlin, Low. What I would do, Oof. McVeigh Gibbs. That's what I would do, and then okay. and then Gregory Mota, Duke, Iguain up top, and your wingers Taylor on the on the right, Lasseter on the left. Four three three, four three three. I don't think I don't I, I don't give I wouldn't give Duke just outright. The 10 role or the, the responsibilities of a 10 because he's not necessarily just a straight out and out 10. He has elements of that in his game, but he's not just an out and out 10. I think he's better in a 4 3 3 where he can drop a little bit deeper and operate and help Link play a little bit more from back to front as opposed to being the, the string puller or the, the attacking orchestrator. So 4 3 3, that's what I would go with. I think Phil Neville goes along, goes more along the lines with something like you mentioned. Sailor yeah. and McVeigh at the back next to Lowe and Yedlin. I think Mota and Gregory obviously both start. We, again, Iguain's a question mark, but I think he, he plays. And then I think we'll see... I definitely think Taylor's coming back into the lineup 100%. It's, it's rare that he's yeah. not in the lineup. It was, you know, it was 
the fact that he wasn't on against the Red Bulls was a bit of a surprise. And I think Lasseter, even though he didn't have his best game against the Red Bulls, I think he's a step above Vasilev. So I think Lasseter and his pace is more threatening than Vasilev. So I think I think Taylor and Vas excuse me, Taylor and, and Lasseter get the starts. And again, Duke will, will play in that midfield as well. So We'll see. We'll see how how Phil Novel approaches it, but I, I'm I'm pretty confident. I think that, especially given the fact that, like I heard from sources, Georgia Costa is traveling. So that's that's a note. All right. So let's leave it there for the Q and A session, Miguel. To wrap up the show, give me your final thoughts, and then I'll give mine, and we'll wrap up the show after that. And look, it doesn't have to be about about soccer. It doesn't have to be about football. It could be about anything you want. It could be about Honduras <laughs> playing. Argentina, Argentina in that friendly <laughs> at Hard Rock Stadium at the end of September. It could be about Bad Bunny winning uh, the okay, VMA okay. Artist of the Year award. Whatever you want, whatever you want. I, don't feel I, like it's. I don't know if you've soccer. seen the Adidas dropping all the kids for the World Cup. Yes, I have. I've seen some of them. Which yeah. one's your favorite one out of all of them? My favorite. Oh man, I could have told you my least favorite. My favorite. Okay, your least favorite and your favorite one. Argentina's is horrific, man. The, the away one. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> we have such different wow. we have such different taste clearly Dude, For real. <laughs> argentina does not wear purple argentina wears baby blue traditionally and their away jersey is traditionally navy blue they do not wear purple and you know inter miami fans that obviously dislike orlando city that are listening to the pod they'll be like yeah hell yeah franco no no purple no purple but it's it has nothing to do with that it just has to do with Argentina does not wear purple, and and look, what is it? Was that flames coming out of the bottom of of the jersey, like purple flames on top of a purple jersey? It just looks like clip art made in the late nineteen nineties for me. I think it's uh, terrible. Right. So Argentina's jerseys, Argentina's jerseys are meant to be classy and classic, and I don't <laughs> think that that fire, that hideousness from the fire, is like you know. It'll long be forgotten, I think, because, oh, my goodness, that thing is terrible. Unless, unless Argentina wins the World Cup in that jersey, then it'll be revered as one of the best in their history, maybe. But other than that, get rid of that thing. That, oh, I can't believe someone got paid millions and millions of dollars to design that. But anyway, anyway, my favorite one. You tell me. I'm going to go. I'm gonna look at them really quickly while you tell me your favorite and your least favorite. I got I to gotta go through them. I'm, my favorite one, I'm going between Germany and Mexico one. Which Mexico one? They're really classy. The Mexico, the home one, and then the Germany, the home one as well. The white one. Okay. That's, those are your two favorites. And then favorites. my least favorite one was the one from Belgium. I don't know if you ever wore that, like, that shirt that used to have like flames coming out from the bottom. I used to have that when I was like a little kid. And that was that's just bad. I, I don't like it at all. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. I'm looking at them right now. Belgium? Oh, Belgium does have flames on the sleeves. Yeah. Very, uh, um, looks like Hot Wheels, man. <laughs> yeah, it looks like Hot Wheels, very like 1990 hot rod. Yeah, you could even do, yeah, it looks uh, like some 1990s wrestling like attire. Um, yeah, definitely not, <laughs> definitely not the, the, the best look. Slovenia, oh, excuse me, Bosnia and Herzegovina's home jersey, not bad, not bad. I'm not, listen, I'm not really into this all abstract art that's become modern for, for football jerseys. Like where there's all these designs on the, on the body just to make it look busier and not make it look so plain. I'm not a huge fan of that, but yeah. but this one with the with the different lines and the different patterns, I think it looks pretty nice. It's blue on white. I think it's pretty 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 good looking jersey. 
Yeah. My favorite though, my favorite out of the bunch. I do like Mexico's home jersey because they've yeah. they've returned back to their roots, back to their traditional look, which we haven't seen them don in a long, long time. I don't know if it's my favorite. Correct. I don't know if it's my favorite. And of for the me bunch. to say Mexico is my favorite one is is really tough. By the way, I'm I'm, I'm Honduran, so we got like a rivalry, you know. Of course, but so. but like. And I'm not saying it's my favorite one, but just the fact that they've gone back to their traditional historic yeah. look, I think that's that's certainly a, a good good sign. As you can tell, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, so yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, anything else? I mean, you, Argentina's you can never really go wrong with Argentina's home jersey. Although again, that away jersey is no a big no. Do, do you like the Do you like the Peru one? Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That is the last time you will hear Miguel Paz's voice on Miami Total Football Radio, ladies and gentlemen. His second appearance, and he's already taking shots at Peru. Goodness gracious. No, I'm just kidding. There is no censorship here. Anyway, my final thought will be on something that relates to jerseys. So we'll stay on the same tune. And I do like talking about jerseys. So, Stephen Primo Brenner hates talking about jerseys. Like, it's his least favorite thing to do, or one of his least favorite things to do. Like, he's not into the whole, like, football, soccer, jersey culture thing. But I am. And I will share this with you listeners. I have heard from sources that next year's jersey, the secondary kit, will be, once again, black and pink. Now, that might not be huge news to you, but it is what I've heard about what the kit will look like. I don't have exact details on the design i don't know if it will have a lot of pink or a lot more pink than la palma did but i've been told that the that the color scheme will be again predominantly black with pink so not not white and pink not gray and pink not black on black i've heard it's going to be black and pink similar to la palma but i just i don't know what the actual jersey looks like that's i, I just that's what i've heard the color scheme will be and last year i did report here on miami total football radio that inter miami would have a pink jersey in 2022 and that came to fruition so maybe that doesn't fill you with joy uh, but let's wait till we see how it looks before we really cast judgment but the scheme the color scheme will be more or less the same as it's been historically from inter miami's short history so that does it for this week's show I did say early on that we'd be back later on this week to recap the game against the Columbus Crew, but maybe we don't come back until early next week because the the next game against the Chicago Fire is so far away. I, I still have to make a decision on that. If we do, well, I will let you guys know on social media, of course. So, for Miguel Paz, a.k.a. Michael Peace, I am Franco Penizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football. Radio, and we'll talk to you guys again soon-ish. <laughs>